I'm reading from Isaiah 5, verses 8 to 23. This is almost a little complicated when I read it, but the pastor will elaborate on it. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left, and you live alone in the land. The Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, surely the great houses will become desolate, the fine mansions left without occupants. A 10-acre vineyard will produce only a bath of wine. A homer of seed will yield only an ephah of grain. And woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they're inflamed with wine. They have their harps and lyres. By the way, a liar here is not someone that doesn't tell the truth. A, a liar is actually a small version of a harp, being a musician, we know that. Uh, they have harps and lyres at their banquets, pipes and timbrels and wine, but they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. Therefore, my people will go into exile for a lack of understanding. Those of high rank will die of hunger, and the common people will be parched with thirst. Therefore, death expands its jaws, opening wide its mouth. Into it will descend their nobles and masses with all their brawlers and revelers. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled. The eyes of the arrogant humbled, but the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice, and the holy God will be proved holy by his righteous acts. The sheep will graze as in their own pasture. Lambs will feed among the ruins of the rich. Woe to those who draw sin along the cords of deceit and wickedness as with cart ropes. To those who say, let God hurry, let him hasten his work so we may see it. The plan of the Holy One of Israel, let it approach, let it come into view so we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes of drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe but deny justice to the innocent. God sent Israel prophets to give them perspective on their lives, attitudes, actions, culture, and society. People, including those who worship and honor God, get caught up in their own worlds, swept along in the current of culture, and we cannot diagnose our own problems. And so God sends them prophets to speak with his voice. And the greatest of those prophets, the greatest of the writing prophets, is Isaiah. And uh, he ministers for a long time, over 50 years his book contains sermons, speeches, poetry, and narratives from his time as a young prophet until he is an old man. Spans his entire ministry. He writes from about 740 B.C. to 680 B.C. 2,750 years ago. And Isaiah 5 details God's disappointment with his people. This is the people of God. And the sins and the bad behavior from 2,750 years ago seems very similar to the sins of today. People have not changed. That's what makes the Bible so powerful. The same uh, problems people wrestled with uh, from... Ancient times are the exact same problems we wrestle with today. Uh, this sex, the passage today, 
I don't usually like to preach on these kind of sermons because it's too easy. <laughs> it's too easy to hammer <laughs> and say, here's what's wrong. But uh, sometimes you have to do it. So this is six woes. A woe is something bad. Something bad's going to happen because of your terrible deeds. You're in a terrible position. And a woe is the opposite of being blessed. And Jesus uses the words this way in Luke chapter 6. He said, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And woe to the rich, for they have received their reward. Woe to the poor, blessed to the poor, woe to the rich. So today we got six points, six woes. Point number one, woe, the problem of grasping materialism and greed. The problem of grasping materialism and greed. You see it in chapter, verse 8. You can use your bulletin or your scripture. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. The problem, grasping materialism, I don't have enough, I want more, my house isn't big enough, I want a bigger house, and when I have the bigger house, I want another house. More houses and more property. Just read in the newspaper yesterday. They asked people who made $25,000 a year, minimum wage, how much they really needed to live at the level that they wanted to live at. They said 50,000. So we've got 25, but I would really, if I really wanted to live the way I, d I wanted, I need 50,000 a year. They asked people who made 100,000 a year how much they would need to live at the level they wanted. They said 192,000 a year. It, it doesn't seem how much you make. You kind of want double what you got. Um, I own stock in a few companies in my pension. And every year I get to vote on the salary of the top five executives in the company. And almost every year as I read through it, I notice the executives, uh, their pension plans are almost as large as their salaries. So if the salary's a million dollars, he actually might get in pension $800,000. And every year I vote against it. And I seem to be the only one my hundred shares don't go very far out of a billion shares. And I always think it's kind of crazy that someone who makes a million dollars a year also needs the company to give them a million dollars in pension. I, 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 re I Truly, I don't understand it. Aren't they making enough money with a total pay package of $10 million that they also don't need a million dollars in pension every year? But you see, it's never enough. And they have to have more. And the reason that we're given that we have to pay people that much is that they would just leave and who could we get to replace them? Uh, the Bible says, thou shalt not covet, want more. Or Paul says, put to death greed, which is idolatry. It's interesting that in Israel's day, they were supposed to, every 50 years when you bought land, at the end of 50 years, that land was supposed to go back to the original family. That way, the poorest of the families who, who had hard times, at least their family would not be forever destitute, and they would get the land back. 
and they never practiced that law. Never. They never gave the land back. Not once. Not one year did they say, okay, all the land returns to, to who it's supposed to. They just kept it. Notice God's judgment. If all you have is grasping materialism, eventually you end up with nothing. Notice verse 9. The Lord Almighty, that's Yahweh of hosts, the Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, surely the great houses will become desolate, the fine mansions left without occupants. Eventually what happens, you find, is that these large houses that are built and large houses that are occupied, eventually nobody lives there and they can't afford them. And nobody's there. In fact, today they kind of come, become museums. Verse 10, a 10-acre vineyard will produce only a bath of wine. I had to look up bath of wine. Uh, first of all, 10-acre vineyard is 10 yokes in the, in the Hebrew. And I go, I don't even know what 10 yokes are. But 10 yokes of oxen, how much could they plow in one day? And 10 yokes of oxen can plow 10 acres in one day. That's where it comes from. 10-acre vineyard is a large vineyard. That's a lot of grapes. And yet all of, that, all, of, all of those grapes produce only one bath or six gallons of wine. You do all that work, and in the end you end up with nothing. Or if you plant seed, a homer of seed will yield only an ephah of grain. I translated it to pounds. A homer of seed is 360 pounds. And you put in your 360 pounds of seed and you go out to harvest it and you only get an ephah of grain or six, oh wait, where am I? 36 pounds of seed. Put in 360, I get out 36. Put in 10 seeds, I get out one. You're better off not to plant. <laughs> right? You're going downhill fast. God so judges this nation and society that their money and their farming become worthless. Woe number two. Now, by the way, I think we have a problem with grasping materialism. This isn't in my notes, so, so just, just relax for a little bit. Okay? We live in an age where we can, as a nation, we can't pay our own bills. We borrow money every year. And the reason why we borrow money is because we want to live at a lifestyle that we can't afford. We do that as a nation. And yet we're more prosperous than we've ever been. And when bad times come, the nation's going to collapse. And we're going to do that to our grandkids. That's who's going to pay. We found a way that we can take all our debts and put them off into the future. It's, 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 it's terrible. Okay, I've talked about it too much. Okay, woe number two. The problem of pleasure drunkenness and revelers verse 11 woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine they have harps and lyres at their banquets and pipes and timbrels and wine but they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord no respect for the work of his hands so woe number two the problem of pleasure drunkenness and revelers uh, often we say the early bird gets the worm 
You rise up early so that you can get busy on the day and accomplish something. But you know you're in trouble as a society when you start to rise up early just so that you can play around and have your drinks. And you're looking so forward to drinking the next day that you rise up early to get into the booze quickly. Woe to those who rise up early in the morning, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. They're burning the candle at both ends, but it's not to make a living, it's to pleasure themselves. Verse 12, they have harps and lyres at their banquets, pipes and timbrels and wine, so they're eating, drinking, and making merry. They've got music going on. They're partying. They're having a good time. Now, most of you are older. I don't think you're partying anymore. <laughs> I might be wrong. It was funny. The other, the other day we were, playing, we were playing music at Fairwinds, the Brody Band. We're playing music at Fairwinds, and there's, and there's an old couple across, across the way. And they keep nagging at each other. And I, I thought it was kind of funny, you know, this old, this old married couple giving each other a hard time. Finally, finally, the drummer behind us who lives in the home said, they're not married. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, that's, that's so sad. I don't know how that fits into the sermon. When a society and a culture pursues pleasure above all other things, you're in trouble. How can I amuse myself? And what can I do in my pastime? And uh, we have a problem with that today. Whether it's video games, or sports, or television, or reading, or music, or surfing the internet. Like, you can go on and on all the ways that we just amuse ourselves and uh, really accomplish nothing other than to amuse myself, keep myself busy, and uh, keep myself ple pleased. Um, we're, we're, we have those same kind of problems today. Uh, what happens? Notice the end of verse 12. They have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. So that's, that's the trade-off. I'm pursuing pleasure for myself, so I really don't understand what God is doing. I don't understand God. I don't know him. I don't know what he's doing in the world. I don't know what his purposes are. I don't know how I fit into those purposes because I'm just pleasing myself. Verse 13, therefore, my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. Okay? And they did. The whole nation exiled. Those of high rank will die of hunger and the common people will be parched with thirst. That happened to them. Rich and poor. Therefore, death expands its jaws, opening wide its mouth. Into it will descend their nobles and masses with all their brawlers and revelers. I love the picture. The poetry is beautiful. Picturing death like it's a big uh, boa constrictor or something like that. You know how the big snake goes to eat something. The, the thing's too big for it. So it kind of uh, unhinges its jaws and opens up its mouth and sucks that large animal into its belly till it can take it in. And he says that's what death is going to do. Death is just going to open wide its mouth and it's just going to funnel them all into there. Very picturesque poetry. And by the way, this is poetic justice. Spend all my time drinking, pleasing myself, and eating at my banquet. So what happens to me? 
death gobbles me up. Verse 15, so people will be brought low, everyone humbled, the eyes of the arrogant humbled, but the Lord Almighty will be exalted. Exalted by his justice, and the holy God will be proved holy, or he will prove his holiness by his righteous acts. And then the ultimate irony, or poetic justice, the sheep will gaze in their own pasture, and lambs will feed among the ruins of the rich. Instead of eating the sheep and the lambs, they end up eating on the property of those who, who, uh, who did these terrible things. Point number three, woe, defiant sinfulness. Defiant sinfulness, verse 18. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness as with cart ropes. To those who say, let God hurry, let him hasten his work so we may see it. The plan of the Holy One of Israel, let it approach, let it come into view so we may know it. I was going to draw a picture of this verse. However, I figured my stick drawing would be worse than me explaining it to you. I drew a horse, and following the horse is a cart. And uh, the uh, horse is tied to the cart with ropes or cords. He's harnessed up. So the horse represents the person. And behind him is his cart. That's his sin. And what connects the person to the sin are lies, deceit. You pull along your sin with the cords of falsehood and the cords of deceit. In other words, I want to have my sin. And I want to pull it with me. I want to have it. But the only way I can have it is if I lie about it, and I can't tell the truth. And so it's the, it's the lie that enables you to pull around your sin. And there's a connection between all of our sin and lying and deceitfulness. And at the heart of all sin is deceitfulness. You hide it from your spouse, from your parents, from your friends. You even hide it from the law. I noticed the other day when I was driving down the highway and the guy in front of me put on his brakes. I thought I better put on mine too. I don't want them to see how fast I'm going. Read in National Post, Toronto Star this week about the big mafia bust in Toronto. Seizure of money, cars, houses, watches. Many arrests in Toronto and Italy. And the heart of all of it was lies and dishonesty. They would often go to the casino or the track. They would bet and lose 20% of their money. They did it on purpose. So then they would leave the track and say, all the rest of this is my winnings. They would always go with about 50000 and go home with forty. And so they were cleaning their money. And most of the charges were about income tax evasion and fraud. Just lies. Same thing's true in our life. All of our sins are covered over by our lies. And notice, notice the defiance part of it. They say, let God hurry. Let him hasten his work so we may see it. In a sense, it kind of looks like it's good. Hey, we want to see God do something. No, they're saying it because they're going, we don't believe that God can do anything. Let him strike me dead if he thinks I'm doing the wrong thing. See, he didn't strike me dead. I'm doing the right thing. Or we want to see God do something. Then we'll believe in him. Notice they also say the plan of the Holy One of Israel. Let it approach. Let it come into view so we may know it. Woe number four, verse 20. Moral perversion. Moral perversion. Verse 20. 
Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Uh, read an article this week, the number one persecuted group in the world is Christians. More Christians are killed every year for their faith than any other group. More Christians are persecuted every year than any other group. More Christians have problems with the government than any other group. Uh, it doesn't seem, doesn't seem that way when I read my newspaper. Um, if you are celibate today until you're married, culture would say that's weird, right? I'm not, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. If you live with your boyfriend, that is good, right? Isn't that what culture says, right? Call an evil good and good evil. If you, so, if you support abortion, that's good. You're a champion of women. If you support a baby's right to life, you're evil. If you proselytize, share your faith with someone else and try to win them to Christ. If you proselytize, that is the height of evil. If you don't try to win people to your faith, that's good. Uh, sinful behavior can never be content until righteousness is destroyed. So we live in a culture, increasingly where we see evil is called good and good is called evil. Woe number five, arrogant conceit. Notice verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. They take human beings as the centerpiece. And so they look good. They're champions of human beings. And they appear so wise and so smart. Just ask them. They'll tell you. Wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, wrote these words. He said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Or Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When you think you have it all figured out, that's when you're in the most trouble. Because wisdom and knowledge starts with God and not with yourself. Finally, woe number six. Corrupt leadership. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe but deny justice to the innocent. Heroes at drinking wine. The most heroic are those who can drink the most. And the champions are those who can mix all the drinks. By the way, that was considered to be a great thing in ancient times, to be able to mix different things with drinks and have it taste good. You know your society's in trouble when, that's, uh, when those are your champions. Um, Ken Jennings, the winningest Jeopardy contestant. He was once asked, what category did you have to research and learn in order to win? And he said, one of the key categories I had to learn was mixing drinks. He says it often comes up in jeopardy as it's an important knowledge in our society, how to mix certain drinks and what, is, what are the ingredients of certain alcoholic drinks. So if you want to be a jeopardy champion, uh, being a bartender is good, good training. Woe to those who are champions at mixing drinks. They acquit the guilty for a bribe but deny justice to the innocent. When justice is turned on its head, society's in trouble. Isn't it strange how something that's 2,700 years old seems like it's written for us in our culture, in our society? Because people haven't changed. 
still have the same problems that they had 2,700 years ago. And the same thing will happen to us as happened to them. God's judgment comes, and all of these things you've built up to make you so successful and make life so easy are destroyed. Because God wants us to honor him, God wants us to glorify him, and God wants us to help people who are poor and not just live for ourselves. Uh, Six woes. Um, Let's take them to heart. And instead of, instead of being under God's condemnation and his judgment, I noticed that a lot of the songs that Dan sung today were about the remedy for our sin. And the remedy for our sin is repentance. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm going to turn from my evil ways, and instead I'm going to turn to the cross of Jesus Christ. Turn from my sin and turn to God's remedy and God's help for my sin, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. There my sins are forgiven, and I'm made right with God, and he pours out his holiness upon me. I can't earn that holiness, and I don't deserve it, but it comes through the Holy Spirit as as we turn to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's our solution today. Let's look to the Lord in prayer.